And we're live. This is Daniel Burnett with trainlikearanger.com. Today I have a uh, very patient guest, James Tony, a good friend of mine. He's been talking shit to me for the better part of a decade. Uh, we've had some uh, growing pains with this uh, video recording, haven't we, Tony? Uh, yeah, we've had a couple. And it's funny, I don't think many people would describe me as that patient, but um, really testing my, my patience limit today. <laughs> sure am. So, uh, again, James Tony is a good, good friend of mine. We've grown up in the pipeline together and, uh, we got to talking the other day cause I'm supposed to go do another podcast with a big organization and they want me to talk sequentially what I did through my pipeline. And I called him and I was like, Hey man, I remember like some things from RAS, but do you remember? And, uh, so we went talking back and forth and I thought, you know, people would really want to hear this. Um, and we, we know each other well, so we got, we got some good stories. So where I'll start is, uh, is with you. Tell, tell us about yourself and, and about what you're doing now with, uh, with your Twitch and stuff. I think it's super cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I got out about two years ago now. Um, <clears throat> I went to school for a little bit and then, uh, we moved out, um, to, uh, kind of the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. Um, I just recently started creating content on Twitch. Um, so I do stream a variety of games and things like that. And, um, you know, it's kind of a nice outlet for me. I, I have always liked to play video games and it's nice to be able to interact with chat and people that I don't really know or wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, so if you guys are ever interested, um, you can follow me at twitch.tv slash JT gaming. I think Danny's going to post a link down uh, below in the below the video. But um, yeah, if you have any other questions following this or there's things we didn't cover or you wanted to cover more, uh, I guess, specifically, um, and that you don't want to ask Danny and you wanted to reach out to me, you can just uh, drop a chat in my channel and then I'll be able to answer any questions you have there. Perfect. Yeah, I have it. I'll have it in the description below this video. So I guess we'll start with, uh, with the beginning. Like why did we join? And, and we'll start with you, Tony. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in a pretty military family. Um, my mom, my dad, my stepdad, my uncle, my aunt, it's just kind of runs in my family. So when I was younger, I really, I didn't want to do it. Um, I actually wanted to be a police officer, um, cause I really wanted to do something that was going to help people and be a bit more active and things like that. But I didn't want to follow that same line. Um, as everyone else did. So I went to college. And I was going to get a criminal justice degree. Um, looking back on it, I, I didn't really enjoy college that much. Um, and when I left college, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I knew if I wanted to be a police officer still, um, I could always go in the army and use that experience um, to do it. But I knew if I went into the army that everyone in my family had done it. Um, a lot of them were in the guard at that point uh, that I wanted to do it better. So I wanted to make sure I won up to everybody, um, which is why actually initially I had taken my option 40 contracts back when I had no idea what I was signing up for. Yeah. Well, my story is uh, quite opposite. I don't have a lot of military people in my family. Through some events uh, in high school, I just, I decided I wanted to do the hardest thing I could possibly do to make myself uh, a better person. And so I saw a surviving the cut episode I'd, uh, I uh, was talking to recruiters, so I was familiar with Rangers to that degree, the Surviving the Cut episode, which is essentially not that much. I didn't know that much. But, you know, I, the recruiter told me he could give me an option 40, and I thought that was one of the hardest things I could do. So that's what I did. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Tony about how 
uh, and I believe you thought this too, right? We thought we were going to ranger school after airborne. We didn't know about RASP. Oh yeah, absolutely. No idea what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, Cause like I said, yeah, my family had been none of, no one touched special operations or anything like that. So I had absolutely zero clue. Um, and the main reason I even chose it is because my recruiter was a forward observer and he said, he's like, this is option 40 contract. Um, he's like, this is like where you want to be if you do this job. Right. And he's like, you'll be in special operations. It'll be great. And I was like, all right, yes, I'm yeah, let's do it. Yep. Yeah. I actually thought Ford observer was uh, I thought I was going to be what is a 13 Bravo. I thought I was going to be pulling the, the little string. And then I thought whenever well, I hey, went, that's better than that's better than the fire support specialist firefighter mix up. Right. Cause there are people that show up no, I got, I'm a firefighter. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's quite a bit off. Uh, at oh, least I was in this. Yeah. Almost <laughs> Starting fires, not putting them out. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know. And, and uh, it's really part of the reason I am doing what I'm doing now and putting out this content. Uh, you know, I had a kid reach out to me. And he was like, Hey man, I'm, I'm going in, uh, I enlisted as a calf scout. Do you think they'll pick me up for an option 40 along the way? My recruiter told me yes. And I was like, Hey bud, that we don't take calf scouts. I broke the kid's heart, but people aren't getting this info out there. The recruiters, I, I don't think these recruiters are intentionally trying to screw people. I think they just don't know either. Exactly. And like I said, I grew up in a military family and I have a ton of family members in the military some of them didn't know what Ranger Regiment was. They had, have, they had no idea what I was going through. So, so I, I really, like you said, I don't think it's intentional. I think a lot of them just don't understand. Um, unless I know a lot of the airborne guys, 82nd, 173rd, um, some of the 101st guys, those guys will kind of know because half the population of those dudes is guys that washed out a RASP or um, stuff like that. Like a lot of them knew or know a lot of guys that were in the pipeline with them going through training. But like some guy that's coming from, I mean, Fort Hood, he doesn't know like what Rangers are. He's probably never even seen them in, you know, the silent professional thing that we have. A lot of people don't know exactly what's going on. Yeah. I remember the first time we saw a guy in a tambourine, we were like, what is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first time, I, I think, I think the first time we saw one with a tambourine was, was when we got to airborne school and yep it was like the in-processing guy at airborne school for all the guys that were going to rasp. And he was like, I mean, this guy was like seven and a half feet tall. He was a monster <clears throat> and uh, he was just loud and just in your face about it when we showed up. And I was like, man, maybe I made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His, uh, his last name was fitting. I, I think it's probably safe to share last names, right? And pretty ge generic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a big dude and his last name was bear. Yeah. Yeah, he's just so a fitting. big dude named bear <laughs> so fitting dude um yeah he uh i think he single-handedly made about four people quit before we even made it off the airborne parking lot and i can guarantee he made a hundred percent of the people in the group question quitting <laughs> yeah yeah sure <laughs> i was scared he was gonna eat us dude it's... Um, yeah he was huge and so <clears throat> So uh, we'll go sequentially back to uh, back to MEPS here. So, you know, we'll kind of talk you guys through. A lot of you guys who are probably listening into this, you are – maybe you've been to MEPS, maybe you're questioning going to MEPS, maybe you're already in the Army, but I'm going to talk as if 
you haven't been to MEPS yet. So we'll talk a little bit about our experience in MEPS and go down the pipeline. So what was your opinion on MEPS? Oh, so are you talking about MEPS? Are you talking about like the process of getting in? Kind of, yeah. Like touch on like the ASVAB, the physical. We don't have okay. to go super right. in-depth. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I, it was weird for me. Um, I actually had to wait a couple months when I initially signed up. I know that's not the case for everyone. It wasn't too long, but it was like three months, uh, six, three to four months um, for my class to start up. Um, so I, I did a little bit, but I was working full time. So I know a lot of the guys go to like the soldier recruiting in processing soldier PT programs and stuff like that. Couldn't do that. I was, I was uh, working full time. I did was able to meet up with my recruiter a little bit. He was a forward observer. So I trained with him a little bit. Um, but when I took the ASFAB, I went in, I took the practice test. I went and took the, I don't know how they do it now, but it was on the computer when I took it. Um, so I went in, I got my score on a computer as well. Yeah. yeah. So I got my scores. Um, I had zero idea what the, the numbers meant, like not a single idea. Um, so like, I didn't know there was requirements for the option 40 contract when I signed up, I just was allowed to get it. So I, I took it. Um, and then I went to, you know, get your physical and everything like that. And in processing that part's pretty easy. They make it pretty easy to get in. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think uh, getting in was that difficult. Uh, if you have a history of like surgeries and stuff, then you, then your process is going to be a little harder because you have to go get waivers and stuff like that. But the physical itself, you get, you get naked, do a duck walk. That's like, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you were 17 when you did yours. I was like 18 and a half. So like I, we were young kids in good shape and there was really no issues. Um, I don't even think anybody really got kicked out. The only thing I, it's actually funny. Um, you can actually get denied um, at MEPS when you're getting your physical because you have too much earwax in your ears. So I met a guy, I was bunked with him at the hotel. Um, and he said that he had failed his initial physical because he had too much earwax in his ears. This guy had scored a 99 on the ASFAB. He was like the smartest dude ever. And they had denied him. I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't know how many people scored 99s on the ASP, but you should just keep those guys. Just take those guys however they come at this point. He, yeah, yeah. Clean their ears out for them. Get them in there. Yeah, just whatever you got to do. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the Air as Force we know, is going to take it. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> as we know, there are some people who, especially you see it for the first time at MEPS, you go, you go there thinking uh, you're joining the cream of the crop, and then you look around and you're like, oh, God, what am I getting into? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, yeah, there are, yeah, definitely not, not everyone's a winner. Yeah. I know, yeah. <laughs> some will grow. Some... At the same time I was, I don't know, 135 pounds soaking wet at that point too. So I guess I wasn't, I wasn't really much to look at at the time either. Yeah. I guess me neither. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> uh, um, so going on to basic, uh, it's, uh, it's hazy. Okay, so we met for the first time. We didn't meet in in processing, did we? No, we did not. Yeah, we met in basic. Um, actually, because yeah, I don't really remember much about the couple days you spend before basic. I do. So uh, I'll go into that a little bit. <laughs> my uh, my first day. Okay, so we we get in a van. Uh, my basic was in Oklahoma, so it wasn't that far of a drive from where I was in Texas. It was Waxahachie at the time, so I went to Dallas, and then we drove four hours up to Oklahoma, 
uh, Fort Sill and did end processing there. Uh, on the way, the driver stopped us by Golden Corral. It was kind of like our last meal and uh, <laughs> last meal before prison. And <laughs> we got up there and did end processing. And uh, I remember you don't get that much sleep. Uh, they give you PTs. And so your uniform for the first couple of days is a PT uniform. This is how this is the pissing contest starts early in the military. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the day three guys get their ACUs. So they get their, their uniform, their duty uniform. And the day three guys would look down on the day one guys like they were newbies. They're like, Oh, you're day one. I'm day three. Freaking dorks. Dude. Let me tell you how it works around here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so in processing is different in, in the army than uh, I think a lot of other branches. This is kind of like this weird, like holding period. You're not really getting smoked that much, like, because uh, there's so much things they have to do paperwork wise and so many things they have to, it's just, they don't have a lot of time to jack around. So you're not really getting smoked and in processing uh, at all. Um, there's a little bit, I mean, there's a little bit here and there, but don't, they don't really have time. I think they can't do much either because we haven't actually started doing real PT yet. So like some people are showing up and they can't do 10 pushups at that point. You know what I mean? Like, so I think they have to be, they do it as much as they, they do try to do some type of um, like step program almost to try to try to get you to where you got to go. Um, so yeah, I feel like they couldn't do too much to us then. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my first day in the army, we we did the vaccines. Remember the the doing the peanut butter shot do, and all that good stuff. Do I ever? Well, actually, we were walking back from the from the shots, and I don't know what caused it. Um, but a uh, a guy seized up in front of me and actually died my first day. I remember um, that actually. Yeah. Okay. So he was like two people ahead of me. He dropped down, and the drill sergeants swarmed in and pushed us all aside because everybody wanted to go help him. So they pushed us aside. They're like, ah, oh, fuck off. You know, and they were freaking out and trying to bring him to. And, uh, yeah, yeah the kid yeah. ended up passing away. I remember because, you know, there's, there was just like a bunch of like small, like one story buildings everywhere on this little compound frame processing. And yes. we, we all march in formation and there's so many of us blasting up at all different times but like when they control us there's just a huge formation of people so there were like four across walking down these little like sidewalks and yeah i remember i, I watched the kid fall to the ground and yeah they obviously even if we wanted to help i don't know what i would have been able to do um so i probably couldn't have helped anyways but dude that's funny so we were in the same area the first time yeah oh yeah. yeah yeah um so anyway so some time passed i think we spent in in, in processing i don't remember how long we spent there it wasn't wasn't terribly long, maybe. I swear it was. It was a couple of days, less than less than a week, I think. Yeah, yeah. So about a week, give or take, and then the drill sergeants pick you up and take you to uh, your basic training or whatever. And uh, I, I didn't think basic training was hard at all. I just th I thought it was cold as fuck though, and that's uh, yeah. what sucked. Yeah. Uh, I guess I never really knew before that Oklahoma has essentially the worst weather pattern in the world. So it gets to like 110 degrees in the summer and then like negative 10 degrees in the winter. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's just the worst. It is just like peak cold and peak hot. 
Yeah. I remember it just being the wind would constantly blow and just being outside alone. That's how you make something suck when just being outside alone is. Brutal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even when we were in like the informations, our bay is essentially open air. So the yeah. wind just whips through all the buildings and just like swirls down in while we're all standing in formation yeah. waiting for whatever we were waiting for at the time. Yeah. Sometimes I, nothing. <laughs> I think we were in different, we were in different platoons, weren't we? Yeah, so you were in first platoon because your last name starts with a B, and then I was in fourth platoon, so the last platoon because my name was T. They just did it by alphabet. Yeah. Um, I remember, yeah, I guess I agree with you. I don't think basic training was was necessarily hard. Um, but it's funny if you look at it, that you're, everything shrinks down as you kind of go through each step. So in basic training, there's so many of us. So if I was capable of doing what I needed to do, then no one looked at me twice. Right. You know? So unless you were messing up, like no one had time to look at you if you knew what you were doing. You yeah. know, there, there's three drill sergeants training, you know, 50 people at a time. Like if you got it, then you're good. They're not going to, they, they don't have time to waste messing with someone for absolutely no reason. Right. Granted they do the first week on purpose to get you, but. Yeah. Plus we had some special cases there that took a lot of the attention. So, yeah. Well, I mean, well, there was one guy in my platoon cause we actually, one thing that was weird about our, uh, base training, if you remember, we went home on Christmas leave. Yeah. That was all in the middle of it. It was weird, which yeah. is the worst. Like you go home with your head shaved and you're like, man, this is just the worst. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Cause we were six weeks in and the way the army works is when Christmas hits, everybody's shutting down. Trade is shutting down. And uh, yeah. so we're halfway through basic training and they're like, all right, see you later. I remember being sick as fuck, dude. Uh, that's back when I was still dipping. And this is a disgusting story, by the way. You, but you had pneumonia. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was coughing. I was coughing stuff up um, and I was spitting it in my spitter. And it was like, uh, this is a disgusting story. I, I don't dip anymore. But uh, <laughs> it was like, it was like this much spit. And then like the equal amount of just mucus. It was disgusting, dude. It was absolutely so just, yeah so you're welcome for me sharing <laughs> that um yeah so we were sick as fuck we went home uh for like 17 days i think everybody was sick and uh yeah, it was freezing yeah. we're all around everyone all the time and plus they give us so many vaccines i don't even know what they were doing like i just yeah it's tough to not be sick in basic training yeah and i remember around the time uh pink eye ran run around uh, that was shortly after somebody dared another guy to pick up feces out of the toilet. That and seems like a first platoon thing. I don't think that, that happened over in my bed. That was first platoon twice. <laughs> <laughs> it made me really question uh, some of the people I was around, dude. I did not <laughs> not feel safe. Um, yeah, dude. So, um, yeah, dege degenerates, dude. Absolute degenerates, so. But I remember in basic, I, I didn't like you. Yep. Yeah, I didn't like we, you either. And that's just funny. We didn't know each other, but we always got brought up like together. It was me, yes. you, and one other person. And we were the only ones going to RAS from the group. Yes. So just being idiots, we were just like hyper competitive for no reason. We didn't even compete. Like we weren't in the same platoon. There was really nothing that we were doing against each other. But I just didn't like I hated that every time I was brought up, that was brought up, that I had to be brought up with you guys as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, what's funny is a lot of the guys who I didn't like at first, 
Like the guys that I didn't like the most at first are the all the guys I became friends with. So yeah, it's because uh, you don't like people that are too much like you. Yeah. <laughs> so like yep. those guys that are gonna have that drive, you're like, I, he's the worst. And you're like, all right, he's not the best. Yeah, I think the first time we talked was we were doing the night shoot, and um, that was the first time we actually conversated. Me and you was mm-hmm. during the night shoot. I think that was later. That was uh, and there's two phases or three phases in basic training. So I think that was uh, phase two, maybe. Yeah, towards the end of phase two, I think. Yeah, it's towards the end. Um, but you you were talking to me there, and and uh, I remember thinking, this guy's really annoying. <laughs> in your defense, in your defense, I was probably talking a lot because it was keeping my mind off of the sheer cold that I was feeling. Because if you thought Oklahoma was cold in the winter during the day, when we were out at those nights. He was just laying on the ground. Oh my, it was probably one of the worst experiences of my life. I still to this day, like I don't like to go out in the cold. Like I told myself when I was in basic doing those night shoots, I was like, I, I never, I'm never going to be this cold again. I, yeah. Like I promised myself if it was up to me, never again. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was absolutely uh, brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. <laughs> I think just the wind alone, just the, just the constant it's not like it gusts every once in a while and breaks off it just doesn't stop Um, it's so flat it's just forever the wind is just coming through forever yeah yep if i remember correctly we could have chapstick and what i would do is i would put chapstick on my knuckles because they would crack because we'd have to be out there in formation at attention or whatever and my hands were cracking because it was cold i think we could have had hand lotion i feel like we were allowed to have hand lotion maybe yeah chapstick i guess i just put chapstick on <laughs> for no reason uh yeah well anyway so basic training is there anything else we should cover for basic training um i'm trying to think uh like i said my biggest thing especially going through training was i told myself i was going to be like the gray man like I was going to try not to get noticed. I, I didn't want them to notice point. me for anything. There was a couple of times where obviously me and Danny would get noticed because we had option 40 contracts. Um, it happened a lot in, in AIT, which is going to be our next portion as well. Um, but I just try to be as it just, I just did what I needed to do. I kept my mouth shut and I just did it. Um, but I'd also like to mention that like, there are people that I met, uh, you know, obviously me and Danny went through a lot together afterwards, but there's a lot of people that I met in base training that, that I still talk to now that I still talk to in um, when I was still in, I actually, when I ended up PCSing over to Fort Bragg, uh, I saw a ton of dudes from our basic training over there um, and our AIT and stuff. So I, I have a lot of friends that I made in basic um, because as much as it wasn't difficult, it was not enjoyable. Yeah. So uh, nothing like bonds people together, like having to go through things together that, that are not enjoyable. Um, so I think I definitely, I actually listened to some of your previous podcasts. Um, and I think one thing you, you were talking about, you know, how you grew as a person and stuff throughout your, your career. I think one of the biggest things I felt that you didn't say, um, was that the people around me, there's so many different people that you meet. Um, whether it's in basic or your unit that you just never would have met that come from a completely different background than you that have a different way of viewing things that I think definitely helped me along the way to help me be and grow into a better person than I was, especially when I first joined up. Um, 
so there's like definitely people that I, I respect and look up to and I still talk to them about what they're doing in their careers and, and things like that and I have buddies that I met all through this pipeline um, so I would just say like don't take everyone for granted if you're just joining the army and going through basic training you don't know who you're going to see later um, you know you don't want to get some guy that you got into an argument with um, that's going to be an E6 at your next unit and you're still like an E5 and you're like oh man yeah. um, just those there is something to be said about you know networking and, and getting along well with the people that are around you because those are going to be the people especially if they stay in and you stay in that you're going to see as you get up um, and it's nice to, you know, kind of see a friendly face sometimes when you show up to a new unit and you don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I talk about, I, I think I covered this a little bit on my past podcast, but I'll cover it more now. Uh, I was a small town, uh, kid. I, I didn't have much outside world experience. So going into the army and, and meeting people from different places, it really opens your mind. Um, so you, you just learn, you learn a lot and in an 18 year old brain, you're pretty competitive and, you know, you're always, uh, trying to, uh, persevere in the world. But, you know, my advice to you, if you're in that age range, um, try to open your ears a little bit and listen to other people. There's a lot that you can learn from other people. Even the people that you don't think you're going to learn from, you can learn the most from everybody's got a little something to offer. So, um, you know, <clears throat> there's two ways to do basic training too. Uh, I like that you covered this. You can be the gray man. That was my goal in basic training. And, uh, and I was a gray man for, for a lot of the time. I remember in phase three, I had a drill sergeant uh, was talking to our group and he looked at me and he goes, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Hey, that was the goal. But yeah. you know, for, for long term though, I would, I would even argue start getting used to getting out of your comfort zone. If there's like a leadership role you can get yourself in, it's good to do it early. It's not comfortable at all, but you know, it's good to get in the hot seat and, and feel what it's like to be a leader because in your unit, they're going to do that to you. That's a good point. Um, because I, yeah, I agree. I was, I was going to try to grand man it all the way through, honestly. Like, no one ever knew my name. I thought that was good for, that was good for me. Um, that did not happen. Um, and eventually it's, it's not going to work. You know, like I said, everything gets smaller. The microscope just starts to dial in, dial in, dial in. And eventually someone's going to see you. And eventually someone's going to ask you to do some of those things like step up in a leadership role or a run formation or, you know, be a, a platoon leader uh, PG or I don't know what I can't remember what they call them. Um, and then you're going to be up there doing it and it's, it's not going to be comfortable. Um, but it's good to get it out of the way when you can, especially in basic. Like when I said, there's so many people, it's going to be forgotten if yeah. you mess up. Um, but getting it out of the way the first time is definitely going to help you your next time. No, cause it lingers as a, uh, as I know, well, it lingers <laughs> with you in your unit. <laughs> when you make mistakes, it lingers. Well, okay. So in your unit, yeah, it's a little bit different, but in basic training, I'm talking about like, you're going to leave those, those drill sergeants are not going to be in charge of you anymore. Right. Um, even if you go through as an infantryman, go through OSIT, like eventually you're leaving those guys and you're probably never going to see them again. Yeah. I was piggybacking off your statement. Yeah. Cause that's the time to make mistakes is when you're in your training pipeline, yeah. when you get to your, your unit and you make big mistakes, they don't forget. Not, not soon yeah, anyway. They will. It follows you. And then what's going to happen is you're going to be like, all right, I'm going to PCS. They won't know about it anymore. They're going to find out. Someone's going to PCS also over there. They're going to be like, oh, you know that guy? Yeah, I know him. Let me tell you a story. Yeah, it's a small world. <laughs> yes. Is, yes, it is. So anyway, good times. So uh, moving on from basic, uh, I think we hit some good points. 
we were forward observers as we covered. So we actually went um, same, same class. I believe we were same platoon, um, but we were broken into, correct me if I'm wrong, but different squads and the squads went to different classrooms, right? Um, I don't think so. I think it was, it was more like there was just, it was our class. Sometimes, yeah, we could only let so many people in a building at a time or something like that. But for the most part, I mean, we're all, we are around and we live on the same floor and everything like that. Yeah. And that's where we really met. And actually it's funny because, um, that's where we became closer because we came from the same basic training. So even though we didn't really like each other a ton, we were familiar to each other. So getting thrown into the AIT situation, I think it was a lot because we had just kind of got found our kind of your role at basic training and then you leave and then you get thrown into a new situation and then you got to figure it out. Um, So it was kind of just like devil, you know, it's better than devil you don't kind of situation. Right. Yeah. I believe we didn't have the same room, but we were a couple of rooms down from each other. Yeah. One or two rooms away. Yeah. Yeah. One far. Uh, in, in an AIT, we had a lot more, we couldn't, we couldn't go off, but we kind of had like work days. And then in the evenings we had some room to roam and then we had a bedtime. That's what I remember. Yeah. So, well, we also, that was like, eventually we got some weekends to go to like the PX. Four hour passes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you obviously had to meet criteria. Uh, So if you were failing a PT test or anything like that, um, you weren't allowed to take those passes and things like that. So we would often go to like the mall on a four hour pass and buy things we didn't need because we had some money and nothing else to do with our time. Yeah. Bought as much uh, Red Bull and dip as uh, four hours could buy us. Yeah. Yeah. You had a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, sure did. And so uh, my favorite story from AIT is whenever we sat in the classroom, I can't remember when, when this happened, but the instructors came in with a radio. I think it was, uh, what's the name of that? It's the, the uh, golf, right? The big one, or is it the Fox? Fox, that's right. Um, he came in with that big ass radio and set it down on the table and he says, and I remember thinking, what the fuck, what the fuck do we need that for? He goes, goes, this is a radio. This is your primary weapon. And I was like, I was so confused. (laughs) I remember just thinking, what the fuck do we do that for? And that was like the whole point. That is your, that is your job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I remember the thing I liked about AIT, um, it was definitely, I would say it was definitely harder than training. Um, because you're actually being like tested and stuff on, on things you have to know to do your job and yes. basics kind of the basics, obviously, and physical fitness. Um, and they kind of combine physical fitness and an actual technical skill and knowledge uh, in AIT. Um, so yeah, I mean, no one's ever touched a radio like that before. I mean, so we're all trying to learn how to do this stuff and, um, the, cadre there the instructors are 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 definitely different than drill sergeants um in like a lot of ways they still do treat you um sometimes like you're not a whole person but um they it was more of um i i guess i'm I'm trying to figure out what the words are it's not like they were they were just more friendly in the sense that you could actually physically have a conversation with them if you really needed to um And there was a lot of them to the point where if you needed it, you had a problem. They were, they felt like leaders that you could talk to. 
Um, They felt like leaders. Whereas the drill sergeants in a way felt like babysitters. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Because what basic training is doing uh, is it's basically taking your sense of being an individual. It's kind of breaking that down, your your idea of who you are as an individual. It's breaking you down to baseline and then teaching you how to be a part of a team, of a group. So uh, it's kind of like teaching people how to listen is the best way I could put it. And then AIT kind of teaches you how to fit this role in the Army. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that's a good a good way to put it. Um, and like I said, like it just it was nice to have like those leaders. Although our actual platoon sergeants in AIT was was fairly terrifying, um, but it was nice to have those what felt like leaders that you could actually talk to and, and wanted to teach you how to do your job because yeah. they knew you were going to have to do it. Um, whereas in basic, it's like I said, it's just you just got to do it sometimes it just felt like you were just doing it to do it and they were just teaching you to teach you and it's not like you don't need to know it and that's not information you don't need to just it's just a lot different i mean you had a little bit of a microscope uh on us with uh with jocelyn with uh yes because he was yeah so our, our platoon sergeant had deployed at nine, 12 times. He was a Marine. He was in the army. He had like 12 or 13 deployments. He would wear a different deployment patch every day on his right arm. He sure would. Um, he, like he'd seen it all. Like he was, he'd seen it all. <clears throat> and um, he knew, kind of knew that you know, signing up to go to regiment in a time of war, like he identified that was something he liked about us. And yeah, he identified us immediately, all of us that were going to RASP. And then I eventually actually had, I was able to fall out of that role a little bit. Um, and I kind of just stayed back and I just did my stuff. And I remember he did, to the point where he didn't remember my name. Because if you remember when he announced me as the honor, like the distinguished undergraduate, he's like, who the fuck is this? He's like, I don't, he's like, I was going through the list and of the people that I thought were going to get it. And I was like, I went to his scores, 99, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, 99.98 overall average for the course. He's like, who the fuck is Tony? Like, I have no idea who this is. And he, he got to formation. He's Tony. He's like, get over here. And he, I remember him, he gave this weird speech about how I was a silent professional and everybody laughed. Cause like all I do is talk shit to all you guys in the barracks. You sure do. But I just didn't do it in front of them. So like I run my mouth all the time. So they were like, this is a silent professional. And everybody was just like laughing. It was absurd for them to hear it, but they had no idea who I was when they were around. I didn't really interact with them very much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Nothing like getting pulled up in front by the cadre and giving them giving their opinion. I don't know if you were, <laughs> were you in RASP at that time? Uh, we were doing that, that run. Well, the reason I asked this question is because Tony had pneumonia and had, had to get recycled and go through RASP again. So Tony really knows RASP because he essentially did it almost twice completely. And uh, Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember, but we were doing a kit run and I would get those nosebleeds, just seasonal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a deviated septum and it causes me to, my nose to bleed when I get allergies. And so essentially we were going on this run and just seasonal nose started gushing though, like just absolutely gushing. And, uh, and I just kept running. I mean, what am I going to do? I just stayed in the front, just kept running. Uh, 
and we got back and I guess the cadre liked that I kept in the front, loved even it. though my, they loved, loved it. it. Yeah. So they pulled me in front and they were like, this is a ranger. They're like, look at him. His nose is bleeding and yada, yada, yada. And I remember everybody getting pissed at me. I went up to the, to the bay and uh, they were all talking shit. Like I could run with a bloody nose. Why'd this guy think he's fucking special? Like I had chose to go like, up it's there. your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You chose, you wanted to be recognized for that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that shit was pretty funny, dude. Um, uh, but ANC, I remember, was, was good. I mean, we definitely got some, uh, I mean, especially made friends there because those are the guys you're going to see in your career, you know, because those are the guys that are going to be in your job everywhere. Yep. Yep. And so we got a bunch of friends from AIT that there's there's guys I, I still talk to and uh, – Damn sure. I mean, most of those guys, if if they came to town, uh, we'd go get a beer. Uh, there's a lot of guys I'd like to catch up with. So good group. Like, like we were saying earlier, there's all these people you meet in your pipeline. You'll never forget them, especially your initial pipeline. It's just, it's all, especially if it's all new to you and um, you meet some interesting characters. And actually one thing that we, I guess we didn't even talk about was the fact that we had signed up for option 40 contracts, but you, we found out fairly quickly when you get to AIT, they needed our jobs very badly in, in regiment. So we could have just signed up there. Yeah. Twice. I believe they came by, I believe they came by in basic training and then again, an AIT and then again, an airborne school. Is that, does that sound right? Yes, I, I, they definitely did in airborne school because it was it was Bear who did it. Um, I don't really remember it, if they did it in basic or not. Um, yeah, that's hazy. They probably did. They probably <clears throat> did. But yeah, because we had a couple buddies that actually ended up going to RASP with us, or in conjunction because because we had contracts, we had already gotten all of our physicals squared away. Um, you do need some extra physicals and some extra stuff to go to airborne and RASP. Uh, mostly for airborne, they have to check some extra stuff to make sure that you're capable of jumping out of an airplane so those guys actually had to wait a little bit and go through um some extra physicals and some extra hoops um which was nice because the day we were leaving to go to airborne school like some of those dudes had to stay back for a while (laughs) i guess she's in the video well okay so we talked about ait now moving on to airborne school is 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 there anything else you want to say about ait no it's that's it's going to be a tough one unless you know if people are watching and they're going through this pipeline that's going to be the one thing that's going to be very different for everyone just because everyone has different jobs and stuff like that um so uh, us telling you a lot about ait for a ford observer is not going to help you if you're going to OSIT as an olympian bravo but i would just say those are the guys that are going to be doing your job Uh, so if you do either you don't don't make it or you get med dropped or, or you end up going to a different unit, those are the guys you're going to see again. So um, I would keep in touch with those guys. Um, they'll be able to let you know, especially if you're going to PCS, you're going to sign in your contract to PCS. Those guys can let you know what bases are not terrible and what units aren't as bad. So yeah. I would just keep in touch with all those guys. Yeah. Good advice. And so for us, I, I know we went to airborne school next. I think there was a brief holdover period after we yeah, had I think like a week or so, a week and a half, two weeks, something like that. Yeah. And also, uh, oh, another fun story. And AIT is when I got my wisdom teeth removed. Is that where you got your wisdom teeth removed? Still got my wisdom teeth. Nice, dude. Yeah, they actually, uh, 
I hear they put people to sleep for that. Um, that's interesting, dude, because I was awake the entire time. And the dude went in with like pliers and was like crunching up my teeth and I could feel it going in the back of my throat, my numb throat. It didn't really necessarily hurt by any means, but he actually removed five teeth like that because uh, I had an impacted tooth. It was like not, it wasn't clean, dude. It wasn't clean like I hear other people's stories. Like I, I remember <laughs> swallowing some of my tooth. I would have more sympathy for you, but I was in the field. You didn't have to go to the fields because you got your wisdom teeth pulled out. So I was in the That's field. Fine, Hey, I would do it again, dude. They could remove five were, more teeth. You guys were all drugged up, sleeping it off for three days in, your, in the barracks. I was out in the field, Oklahoma, in the summer. <laughs> oh, shit, that's right, dude. I totally forgot. Yeah, and uh, what I do remember, though, is I got dry socket. Um, like the, that's your luck. So Yeah, the dentist told me, like, I had a choice. He's like, hey, make sure you're eating, eating soups and, like, liquid meals. And I was like, I'm going to eat what they give me, dude. And then I came back. <laughs> I came back. My first meal was uh, chicken, broccoli, and rice. I was like, "Well, <laughs> fuck, this isn't this isn't liquid at all." And so I got like this these bleeding, you know, gaping gums, and just that rice is getting stuck in the giant hole that is now where my tooth used to be. And yeah, I got dry socket, and I ran out of. They only gave me like I think six or eight. Uh, I think it was, uh, was that, would that shit they, they give you a hydrocodone or whatever? Hydrocodone. Yeah. I think it's yeah. what they gave you. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's right. And they only gave me like six or eight pills. And so that shit was gone like super quick. And then, uh, I remember we couldn't have any painkillers or anything like that. So I actually, we went out on a four hour pass. I actually snuck, um, I think it was like ibuprofen or something back and I would pop it like Skittles cause I was in so much pain. I got dry socket and shit was brutal. Yep, not me. Still got my wisdom teeth. Nice. Does it, I think like half of the like if you have to get your wisdom teeth pulled out and it's identified that you need them, that they do in AIT. <clears throat> right. Yep. So that was fun. But anyway, so we had a brief holdover period and then we went to airborne school. I realize you have gross stories. Yeah. I like dry sockets, your <laughs> pneumonia story. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, kept it interesting for sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to remember how long we were held over. It wasn't, it wasn't too long. Maybe it was like a week though. It was like a week or two, right? I think it, I think it felt like around eight, a week and a half. Yeah. Um, cause I think we showed up to airborne school it was in like the middle of the week in the class and didn't start until Monday. Um, yeah. cause I think we had a couple of days before it actually started when we got there. Yeah. And then we got on a plane and flew to Columbus, Georgia. And then we met up with, it was weird because there was like, a, if I remember this correctly, there was a civilian with a sign and we met up with him, picked up our bags that we had checked in, and then we rode a bus to Columbus. To yeah, because yeah, the airport is... No, it's because the airport's in Atlanta. Mm, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. So yeah. you have to take. They have a. They have a shuttle um, that runs, but you like the army pays for that one. But whenever you want to fly home, you got to buy your own shuttle to the airport. Uh, but yeah, it's like an hour and a half or two hours to get to the airport. So we flew, which was honestly it was nice because we we flew out and like. We got to go home on Christmas leave, but it, it didn't, 
that was the first time we were like done with our training going somewhere and like it just felt good to be done with basic and in, in the army uh, even though we had more than enough training still to come but <clears throat> yeah and when you go to airborne school this is more big boy rules because you got to remember airborne school is outside the the basic pipeline so with airborne school anybody in their career can eventually go to airborne school um, to include other branches so you had like uh, we had a few Marines there. We had uh, some guys from the Navy, uh, Air Force, um, and guys from other units in, in the Army. So a lot of these guys were like officers. And it was just a big mix. So we went from like this brand new pipeline, like we're, we're still newbies, to going out into more of the big boy world. And we had weekends. Uh, airborne school is only three weeks. Essentially all airborne school is is running and f- – falling down over and over and over. It's the best way. Yeah, I mean, that's about it. right. As long as you can pass your, your uh, five mile run at everyone's school, which I think is something like 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I don't it's remember. It's like nine minute miles. It's 45 minutes. Cause I know it's a little bit slow, slower than, than the 40 minute regiment standard. Um, but when you show the basic, yeah, it's, it's weird, especially if you're coming through training doing the pipeline, cause no one cares. No one cares about you. You're not, you're not, in AIT or base training anymore. So you show up and like, if you show up and do your stuff and you say, Sergeant, and you say, sir, or ma'am, no one, no one messes with you. Um, so you get to go wherever you want in the evening and do whatever you want on the weekends. Granted, but you have no vehicle. Um, you're in Columbus, Georgia on Fort Benning. Um, and you're also in like the, (sighs) Fort Benning's not like that big, but you're like, you have to walk everywhere. Um, it wasn't as it was a movie theater. And then I remember us spending an absurd amount of money. There was like a little uh, place you could play Xbox. I was going to cover this. Yeah. Yeah. So there was like this little shot, like it was like a arcade, but with Xboxes and stuff. And you could go play games. Um, so, so it was not cheap. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It it was a lot. I remember we would pay for that 32 hours. And I, if I remember correctly, that was somewhere around the numbers that jump in my head is it was anywhere from 120 to $200. Yeah. It was definitely, definitely in the hundreds for sure. Yeah. It was up there. And I remember we beat entire games because there was nothing. I mean, there was nothing else. No, there was nothing to do. Yeah. And we, we, we didn't know anybody. We didn't have a car. So, uh, yeah, I mean, looking back on it, I probably should not have wasted all my money at that place. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, besides, like, eating garbage food, that just made me sick at that point because I hadn't eaten food that wasn't, like, army food in so long. Yeah, um, yeah everyone's school is not hard. Uh, it, it is early mornings and a lot of running. But uh, other than that, I mean, as long as you pay attention and watch the – movies that they show you that were made in 1965 um <laughs> the instructional videos yeah uh it's it's pretty easy um i mean that yeah the first two weeks is all your training for it and then that last week is jump week um i don't know if you can i'll let you touch on jump week first yeah so basically for the t- first two weeks you're just falling 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 because the big thing they want you to take away is a parachute landing fall plf and uh, there's a form to how you do that so you don't break your ankles and knees and back, all those things. Uh, yeah, some uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a form, but we don't really uh, – that shit kind of goes out the window sometimes. Um, 
feet, ass head sometimes. Um, yeah, most of the time. So, yeah, especially if you're hitting tarmac. Um, <laughs> but airborne school, the, the thing that drove me crazy was uh, the long rig times. So, uh, you know, we would rig up for 12, sometimes upward of 16 hours, and you can't go to the bathroom. If you, I think in rare cases, they let people go to the bathroom. And if they do, they have to go through the entire, uh, what's it called? JMPI? Yeah, the whole JMPI, which is just Jumpmaster Parachute Inspection. There you go. And uh, yeah, which is a pain in the ass. And so I've seen people piss themselves. Oh, yeah. Um, Happens frequently. Uh, I never did, thank God. But I remember... I remember I wanted to get out the plane so bad just so I could relieve myself. I was like, yeah. that was like task number one. That on my first jump, everybody asked me like how scary was it was the first time. I was like, my second time was way scarier. The first time there was some weather and stuff. So we were rigged up for so long. Like I, I was so angry. Like I just wanted to, I just wanted to, to have the stuff off me. So I was just, I was at the point where I was like, I just need to jump out of this plane. Whatever happens, happens. Because either way, this feeling is gone. <laughs> like my back hurts so bad. And I was just like, I need to get out. I just need to, I need to do it. So like none of the, none of the fear process in my head. Right. Um, until obviously I was in the sky and my chute opened because all of the pressure comes off you into the parachute. And that's when you're like, holy shit, like. I'm a thousand feet and, and you jump actually higher at everyone's school um, for safety. So you, I mean, you're 1200 feet in the air and you just see this like drop zone. You see everybody else's parachutes. You have no idea what you're doing. You're like trying to figure out cause you got to slip into the wind and stuff. You have no idea. You have no idea which way the wind is coming. You're like, I don't understand what that means. I don't know what I'm pulling here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my first time I was not scared in the plane. My second time though, very very nervous yeah i was an ambitious 18 year old kid i had done one skydive and so i thought i was an expert already and so my first jump you actually used to bring that up a lot when we were in airborne school i I was really proud of that (laughs) the first thing i wanted to do was hit the ground take a knee and leave myself there was actually a couple times where i thought how bad would it be if i actually just piss myself like would it be that big of a deal i just (laughs) i couldn't bring myself to do it dude i had to go so bad my second time we jumped out of the just make her wear a green morph suit next time you can uh you can green screen her into something yeah i'm gonna have to find those and edit them out um (laughs) there's gonna be random chops in the video uh where was that uh you were talking about uh peeing yourself yeah so i didn't pee myself telling you i thought about it um, I said, yeah, I know. You said you were thinking about being yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, I did because I had to go so bad. I was like, how bad would it be? Like if I just, you know, like other people have done it, and I just could, I couldn't do it. Um, I mean, I would have never let you live it down. So <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> the second time we jumped out of a C seventeen, and I remember when I jumped out for when I felt that for the first time, the force was so strong to me like when i first exited that door it was like that wind took me like oh it just like sucks you out yeah just absolutely shut it was and i remember my because you're supposed to be tight i remember when that wind hit me i went oh that's (laughs) what i did and so when my chute opened uh i had a bunch of twists because i was uh, essentially spinning in the air whenever my chute was open opening so it caused a whole bunch of twists you just pull it apart and kick out but 
um, yeah, I remember that being, uh, being a new experience. And then, uh, I think one of the days too was pretty windy. Um, I remember there's a couple people that actually ended up getting, um, hurt, not like super injured, but there was a couple like sprained ankles. And so the wind was so bad that it was like, when you hit the ground, it was a little bit, a little bit rougher for, for like inexperienced jumpers to like try to PLF for the second time in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, it was an experience and actually jumping, uh, you know, I got upwards of 40 and, um, uh, you probably got, you did more time than me. So you probably got more jumps than 40, huh? Uh, yeah. Something up there. I don't know. Yeah. Couldn't even give you a number, probably like 60, 70. Yeah. There's some things that get easier with it, but to me, uh, the jumping made me more anxious as time went on because I started seeing stuff happen to people like people tearing biceps and, you know, I had a buddy break his back on a jump and, you know, breaking ankles and all sorts of stuff. So you start getting a little bit more nervous as time goes on. Like, Oh shit, here we go again. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've, I, yeah, we've lost people on jumps before and stuff like that too. Like it's, that's true. Yep. That is, it's dangerous. It is dangerous. So, you know, if you guys are going airborne, you need to, uh, need to recognize that it's dangerous and, and, uh, make sure that's what you want to do. But, um, yeah. Yep. Can be fun though. Really jumping is really fun if you're just jumping to jump, like with no gear. Right. That's always a blast. Like when you're doing like uh you know, the jumps out of helicopters or like a C seventeen jump with no gear, like that's fun. Yeah. Um jumping in emissions is really not that fun and mostly because it's it's really jumping makes your mission harder. Um which if you're in an airborne unit, it's something you do. Uh, but it just makes everything a lot harder, planning, prepping, gear you're bringing and things like that. It just adds a, a large layer to what you were already going to, which was already going to be tough. Um, especially, you know, like in the dark jumping out of airplane, trying to find out where you're going. Um, so like that, it's just, it's just makes everything more difficult. Yeah. It's, uh, it is, it is fun off some of those platforms. If you do like a ramp blast or a uh, helicopter jump, um, those are really fun, but the, the exit out the door, Mass tactical jumps, i.e., MLAT, was never a favorite for me. Anytime they told me, uh, yeah, which mm-hmm. uh, only happened once where I got to be in the vehicles. You know, some people don't have to jump because they they're in the vehicles. That only happened to me once, um, and that was like that was like a blessing, dude. And I was <laughs> I was like, yes, oh, I don't have to yeah, deal with that. It's the shit. nicest thing ever. Yeah, you don't have to deal with any of the bullshit. So it makes your day a whole lot easier, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we kind of got a little bit off topic sure talking about airborne in general, but uh, for the school, uh, for those of you that are looking to go through, um, which really it's going to be a, a part of any, any pipeline you do for any special operations in the army, including um, even if you're just going to go to, you want to be airborne in general and go to the 82nd uh, or the 173rd. Um, but really when it comes to airborne school, if you just follow the simple rules that they give you, then you're fine. Um, they do have, there is like a check system and things like that, where if you don't do something or you miss something, then you, you fail. Um, it's easy to fail if you don't just, you can't just follow the rules, but it's so easy to pass if you just follow the rules um, and do what you need to do. Stay out of trouble uh, in your off time. I know it's going to be the first time you guys get off time, but if you just stay out of trouble, you can waste all your money playing Xbox like me and Danny did. And there's no chance you're going to get in trouble. Right. Um, 
But if you just pay attention, you just listen, don't show up late, don't lose your equipment, you'll be fine. Yeah. Now we get to, now we're getting to RASP. After airborne school, which I actually, again, enjoyed airborne school, you, you get picked up for RASP by the RASP cadre. And this happens however they want it to happen. Here's the thing with RASP, and Tony can talk more on this. There's no set consistency. There's big things that they're going to hit, but they're going to do it how they want to do it. So I can tell you what to expect, but it may vary next time because we're dealing with a selection process made by these other Rangers. There's criteria you're going to hit every time, but it just depends on who your cadre is and how they're feeling that day. So I remember that we were at airborne school and we were getting picked up, but we had a couple of days before actual pickup. Um, I remember none of us knew like exactly how we were getting picked up or there was talks about us having to run to pack our bags on a bus and then run behind the bus. We had no idea what was coming. So we're all nervous. You know, the only ranger we had seen was, was bear. And he was just a big, scary man. And, uh, he was a nice one. <clears throat> um, so we just had no idea what to expect going on. I remember like us just like rumor gossiping about what we thought might happen and what we were going to do. We had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. We had no idea. And, uh, and we, it does happen. I mean, all those ways, there's all sorts of ways it can happen. Some people have to run with all their bags uh, somehow to the RAS barracks. Uh, we actually got to get on the bus and it was very hasty and trying to fit through that bus door like a scared herd of cattle was an interesting sight to see, especially with all the bags that we had. And we were living basically out of what was it like a giant sea bag. We had like two duffel bags. Yeah. yeah so was, like we had everything we owned. Like uh, that's all you had to your name at that point. It was everything you had in those bags. That's right. <clears throat> two duffel bags. And then we had, I believe a, uh, a small, bag as well like a backpack or something like that like a personal bag yeah like i i think most of us had that acu pattern uh little like shoulder bag yep yeah and i remember we all fit on the bus somehow and it was the first time we heard this uh the rasp cadre asked us uh, a question or told us something and we all said Whoa, like we had been doing <laughs> <laughs> he said he said we don't fucking say whoa yeah, remember the first like time our confusion like huh yeah yeah rangers don't say who yeah they don't yeah. that's not oh man i forgot about that i didn't yeah. forget about them not liking it i just I forgot about the first time you find that out after you've been having to say it to everyone for, yeah. <laughs> for months yeah 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 and so we got there we did a layout on the rocks the famous rocks and uh, got smoked and, and stuff. And a couple people quit in the parking lot before they even got picked up. And then a couple people quit on the rocks. And it was amazing to see that because, I mean, nothing had actually happened yet. Well, I don't know. See, that's one thing I remember. We, we talked about this the other day, too. I remember that there was a couple times in airborne school because we had, we had gone to basic in November. And I don't even think we got into RASP until like April. We had been training for so long that like when i was in airborne school okay first of all i will say they do pump up like airborne units a lot in airborne school because it's their thing so i was like maybe it wouldn't be so bad just get a maroon beret and go to a unit and just be done with all this like i'm tired i just want to be doing my job i want to be doing something that matters like i just feel like i felt like i wasn't go i was going somewhere but i felt like 
I could have just started going somewhere as like a soldier then in there if I just didn't do it. Um, obviously I didn't, uh, but there was a couple of times that we had conversations where we're like, man, it's, you know, I'm, I'm tired of all of this training. I really just want to be a, a unit. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that some of those guys had quit. Um, it wasn't because they were scared to do RASP, I don't think, because like you said, nothing had happened yet. I think it's a lie. It's a commitment. Like if you want to do it, like you need to be ready to suck it up and commit for a long period of time before any of that's going to pay off. And it doesn't get easier when you get to your unit as a ranger either. Sure does. So, it gets a whole lot worse. <laughs> You just got to be ready to make that commitment because that's why those guys quit because they, they didn't want to do it anymore. It wasn't too hard. They probably could have passed some of them. Some of them probably won't have, but you got to be committed. That's a perfect point. Cause I made that point before in my other video. Um, when I talk about basic RASP advice, a lot of people quit not because of what's happening in the moment. They quit because they realize what they're getting into. And especially it does take a long time to get there. I mean, it's not a short pipeline. You're dedicating time. You're dedicating a lot. You're dedicating a lot to it. So, uh, so everybody's always interested to know about how RASP is laid out. Uh, you have pre-RASP, which is like a holdover period. The, the, the PT starts here. So the cadre are going to smoke you in pre-rasp in the mornings. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like in the mornings in pre-rasp in the mornings, you're doing this super hard PT, probably harder than you've ever done before in the army. Cause they are just jumping you right into regiment PT. And, uh, and then after that, we got a lot of classroom stuff. I remember learning a lot in pre-rasp. I remember pre-rasp actually being really informative. I remember being taught a lot. Yeah. How much I learned is questionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Essentially, they would put us in these classrooms and it was like they put a firehouse in your mouth and opened it. Like, yeah. I had no clue. what I had no concept. And some of it was infantry stuff that we weren't going to know because it's not something we had really dealt too much with at that point. In hindsight, they probably should add that to the IT criteria since all we do is hang out with the infantrymen. But exactly right. I had no idea. Yeah. You're exactly right, especially since in places like regiment, and I, I don't know how much it works in other places, but you got to know what the ground force is doing. So yeah, you, you have, have to do. You have to know that everywhere. You can't just drop artillery or bombs. Where you have to know what's going on. Right. Yep. So I'll call up the DoD. Let them know. Yeah, I'm good. That's it. <laughs> you do it, so I don't have to. Um, <laughs> but so I remember uh, pre-RASP, we were only there for three weeks. It varies for people. It really varies. Um, but that was pre-RASP is not a bad time. Uh, I think we may have even gotten passes on the, on the weekends, like uh, day passes, like maybe four hour passes and stuff. Is, did that happen in pre-RASP? Yeah. Our weekends were free pretty much. Oh, like you had to, you couldn't go out overnight. Um, but you had a formation in the morning and then a formation in the evening. Um, Full day I think passes. we had to be back before before dinner at the DFAC. That's right. I think we were supposed to eat dinner at the DFAC. Um, so we had like the day, the work day to go out and, and we would go do the same shit we were doing in airborne school, play video games and see movies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't change. Dude. Um, drink four locos. Tony's favorite uh, drink of choice. That was, that was on our actual pass. Yeah. 
and that was awful. no that wasn't a that wasn't a pre-rasp yeah good point yeah that was in rasp on our actual pass that was easily one of the dumbest things we've ever done yeah don't recommend and it. i still do not for locos <laughs> don't recommend for <laughs> locos guys they're uh, mm. yeah terrible so anyways that's that was pre-rasp and then we got picked up by rasp and the layout of rasp is three weeks of phase one and then you have five weeks of phase two and the phase one kind of represents like what rip used to be um kind of has some uh i believe rip you know some the rangers say that rip was uh was a lot more of a smoke show um i remember phase one being a smoke show and um i remember specifically coal range I, i'm curious to know how much it would actually vary that would be something i'd like to talk to uh maybe in the future like an old ranger about somebody who went to rip but uh, yeah well they used to be able to have dip and stuff and yeah stuff like that yeah everybody always says they had it harder i mean it's probably true to some degrees but uh yeah anyways so phase one's like rip essentially it's the selection part and then phase two you're still in a selection but phase two is more informative like uh you're learning stuff so you want to cover like what we did in phase one i believe week one we did the 12 mile and the pt test and i believe uh, so because we do the five you do the five mile run um essentially day zero like they pick you up very early in the morning they take you out you run uh, two and a half miles out two and a half miles back at the airfield um that's right so that's your your day one you have all you bring all your stuff you drop it in a formation they bring you out you do the five mile run then you do a layout if you're missing anything sorry i hit my mic uh you do a layout in the five mile run like that thing right there the layout in the five mile run that gets you people fail like if you mess up the layout you don't have something you're done if you fail the five mile run you're done um Everything else I think they allow a retest for a lot of the stuff you can, you can, you can sometimes retest. Um, but not the beginning things is they don't let you retest those. Like if you can't, if you can't run five miles in under 40 minutes coming in, they don't want you. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I just, it was a lot of just like getting smoked, um, hard PT, getting ready for all your critical events. Um, because you have to pass the five mile, the 12 mile and the PT tests, um, as well as land nav in phase one. If you fail any of those, you're done. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I don't remember when you do the 12 mile ruck, but I know we rucked out to coal range. Yes, I do remember that. So I, I can't remember if that's the 12 mile ruck. I think that was, that was independent. That was independent of the 12 mile. Uh, I don't know. And it's I don't so know, easy, but you do have to do the 12 mile in the first three weeks. Um, and then you have to do the, the, you know what? Do, Cole Ranch. You might be right. This is why we're talking about this now. I'm going to have to go watch somebody else's video or some shit. <laughs> uh, it's all just a blur of just push ups and, and running. And, uh, but I think we led off with the 12 mile and then went into Cole range. We that's what broke. I said the other day too. I feel like, yes. yeah, yeah, I think it's, yeah, you, you ruck into cold range and that's why the land nav is so tough because you, you 12 mile ruck off. out there. 
you get smoked out there. Like you sleep in a pit, like everybody just sleeps in a pit. That's the only thing out there. And then the cadre, the instructors have their, their little like uh, cabin where they got like real food and warmth and every, everything they need is over in that cabin. Um, and then they just, they essentially, they take turns coming out and they send one guy out of the cabin to mess with us. And then he goes back in and then someone else will come out later. So they just do it in shifts. So they're getting sleep and someone's always messing with us. Um, but yeah, Cold Ranger is definitely the toughest part. I mean, you ruck out there, you do uh, day land nav, night land nav, day land nav. Not, you just, there's no sleep. There's just land nav. That's all. Your whole life is land nav. And then when land nav is not happening, you're doing battle drills. And um, anybody that's been to Cold Range will know, hit the wood line. Hitting the wood so, line. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just, it's, it's rough. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely rough. Um, it's definitely, it was definitely the hardest part of RASP um, back when Danny had gone through. Yeah. And, and then we made it through phase one together. We, after phase one, um, we had, I believe the order was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we had a week for breaching I think was first. Yes. Where you learn how to build charges and you know, you practice setting these charges and blowing doors. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you also breach with like a shotgun and, um, ah, the Roman 10870. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Other breaching tools. You learn all sorts of cool stuff. And then, and then, uh, the next week was convoy operations. So you learn how to drive a Humvee during the day and at night and do convoy operations. And that was the first time we met Sergeant Chen. Oh man. And this guy was, legend. Uh, was a legend. Yeah. He was from, uh, I believe he was from Thailand. Is that right? Uh, I think he was actually from, from Laos. That's right. Okay. And yes. <clears throat> he was a, re- he was a refugee, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, yeah, he escaped. I don't, I don't know what his exact situation was, but I know he had to escape or whatever it was. And then when he joined the army, he had tattoos on his hands and fingers and they, he thought they were going to kick him out. So what he did was he took a soldering iron to his hands and burned them to shit. And uh, he was just a beast. Dude. Like yeah. he didn't have to do that, by the way, you don't have to take a soldering iron to your hands. Um, but uh yeah he, he didn't mess around that's for sure if a certain team was doing something he was doing it all the way yeah like no matter what it was he was a physical specimen too he was a he was a tie fighter um muay thai fighter and uh boy was he skilled boy was he super yeah. skilled. i remember he would take us out for pt and he would he would run us during pt and we would be i just would be vomiting and he's like all right well this would be my warm-up yeah and he would always say, I believed we, him. I believe him. I still believe him to this day. Like he hundred percent because the level of fitness he had to have was incredible. And, uh, for the, for the upcoming weekends, he would always say, we're going to earn our weekends, man. And I, and I remember thinking, fuck every time he said that, <laughs> but we liked the guy. Yes. I mean, I remember really liking oh, the guy. He was a great, he was a great NCO. Yeah, absolutely. And he wasn't, he didn't have to, uh, he, he wasn't a yeller or anything like that, but boy, would he break he a spear without it? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't have to, cause you know, <laughs> you know, he could kick your head off if he wanted to, but man, when he would run, it was no joke. It was no joke. So that's the big thing in RASP, even in phase two, it's just the PT. I mean, 
I'll break you off in the mornings and uh, yeah, even on a day that feels like a light day, you still got to do deal with the morning PT, which is going to be a whole new beast you've never seen before. Yes. Um, there's no normal days in RASP actually, but uh, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and then I believe the next two weeks was we had the weapons. I believe we dedicated two whole weeks to that. We learned. So I was in at, it's at this point. It's, I right when we finished driving, so I did my driving test and I got my license and did all that stuff. That was when I contracted. Um, a pretty bad case. Actually, that's not true. I contracted pneumonia a couple weeks before that. Um, and I think I you contracted it in phase one or like early in phase yeah, two. Yeah, it was like dealing with cool range. Two weeks, you were sick as fuck. So the fact yeah. that you stuck with any of those runs was pretty uh, phenomenal because you were sick as fuck, I remember, because we weren't far from each other. I slept in one bunk with uh, Plaza. You remember yep. Plaza? And then you were across from us. Yeah, I remember you used to you would like get pissed off at me because I was coughing. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, that's how. That's how. Yeah, he was. He was a pretty nice guy back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was like upset with me because I was sick. Um, he wasn't the only one either. There was a ton of guys that were upset. Um, because we didn't want to get sick. Which either. that and at that point you can't sleep through whatever. Like you should just go home anyways. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had actually contracted pneumonia, and I remember. Um, it was during his PT where like I was just getting so sick and I just, I started not being able to keep up towards the end of that week. Um, and they kept telling me to go to sick hall. Uh, but I knew, I knew if I went to sick hall that I was done, that they were going to recycle me. So I tried to hold off. And then, uh, I fell out of a run, um, actually with, with one of my buddies, I had ended up cleaning again at Bragg broke his leg in two places on one of our runs around the airfield. So his leg broken in two places, me dying of pneumonia. I had a buddy carry him back. Which like is the worst way to treat fall like as someone who was like the situation was like I thought of the runs or had to do a much worse run, but um they made me go to sick hall um after that that run and uh, I had pneumonia so they had to recycle me I was a med recycle so I didn't actually get to do the rest of, of that uh, set of rasp with Danny. Yeah, at this point Tony went back and and enjoyed a uh, long vacation. And uh, and you then got to do it again later. Yes. So I'm sure that was uh, super fun. So <clears throat> what happened with me was uh, so anyway, yeah, we go through. I'll cover this real quick. So you go through two weeks of phenomenal. I mean, really phenomenal. The instructors we had were. I would pay thousands of dollars for this in the civilian world, but phenomenal M9 and M4 training, transition training, um, all sorts of drills, moving, shooting. Um, it was phenomenal. Uh, I remember that being really, honestly, really fun. I remember that being truly fun. You learn how to shoot during the day, shoot at night. And so that was cool. And then week week eight, I don't remember, to be honest. I think we did another PT test and some other events and then graduated. Yeah, yeah. Week eight is admin, mostly. Um, you do uh, a ranger history and um... – uh, you just do admin stuff. Everybody kind of puts a, where they want to go on a piece of paper and everyone needs to get their berets and learn how to shape their berets and all the stuff while getting ready for the PT test. It's, it's kind of like the last little like admin set of stuff you got to do. Yeah. It's not like a, a class week. 
Um, there are stuff they still obviously they're still teaching you and still doing everything like that, but it's not like a dedicated week of stuff. It's all the extra stuff you got to do, getting your paperwork in order and things like that. Because you got to fill out a ton of paperwork too, and leave and PCSing over and everything like that. Yeah, perfect. Um, so that's basically RASP, and then depending on what your job is, you may have an additional course like medics have. Uh, I believe it's pre-SOCOM. Yes. Yeah. Well, they, they do SOCOM. They do SOCOM. Okay. So uh, they, maybe no, maybe they do. It's like a condensed. I think version. they do like a condensed version of SOCOM. Yeah, because they don't do the better dental part or right. something weird. Like there's like something they don't do. I don't vet veterinarian part seems weird. I don't even know. That's a real thing. I'm not a medic. So. Yeah, I know it's good training. I mean, it takes them a minute to get through it. I know it's super good training because um, they always show up and know exactly what they're doing. So whatever it is must be good. Um, yeah, and then me and you went through the Ranger RTO course, which is a course that regiment created for Ford observers and RTOs. And that's it. <laughs> so uh, we go do that. And I believe that was a few weeks. I don't really remember too much about it. I think it was like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Main thing Two or I rem- three. Yeah. The main thing I remember is, uh, is uh, me and Plaza got into it and, uh, and I challenged him to a boxing match and he beat the fuck out of me. He's a fighter. Yeah. He beat the shit out of me. Uh, I remember going to formation the next day. I had like hamburger meat face and uh, man, what was his name? The instructor, I can't remember his name, man. Um, anyways, he, he was a cool dude, though. He looked at me, and he he was like, what happened to you? And I just told him, I was like, Plaza beat the shit out of me, Sergeant. And he started laughing. He was like, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's cool. Um, probably he, he knew you deserved it. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> I probably needed to get it more than more than once. but Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, we went to the RTO course, and, uh, you know, I got to first bet first because you were still on holdover and uh began my fun there in regiment so eventually uh i think before our first deployment you had come so you had come like maybe midway through the training cycle because i had i'd gotten there through the second half of their deployment and so i didn't have enough time to go pick up on that deployment they didn't send me overseas and then i picked up with that first training cycle and then you came on the scene later. So I guess we can go in, into a little bit uh, life and regiment. And, and that's probably where uh, we'll end after we talk a little bit about just what life is like in regiment as a, as a private. Make this two episodes. Yeah. I might make this two episodes. Just <laughs> split it in the middle. Uh, yeah. So, it, you know, we could do this again and talk more in depth about, you know, future life and regiment, but we'll just talk about like, you know, initial uh, stuff, maybe just talk a little bit about regiment and our experiences. Yeah. Well, I mean, I showed up with, uh, with Frank a little bit later, obviously I'm Frank. Yeah. Um, it was kind of weird. I, I was kind of, um, I was definitely a little bit arrogant um, after I had kind of completed all my training and I showed up because we actually have the in-process at, at third ID space. And um, yeah, I definitely had a, I was definitely more arrogant than I should have been showing up to there. Uh, I kind of felt like I was better than everybody else there. I wasn't like, I didn't know what I was doing just cause I did an extra, I, I did a little do bit extra eight. stuff, you know, I was in better shape, but I wasn't, but I do an eight yeah. week course. You think you know it all, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was definitely, definitely pretty, pretty arrogant. And um, I remember that I was walking around like I own the place. And then as was I, uh, the day they came to pick us up, 
I was so scared because I knew the Rangers were coming to get me. Yeah. And yeah, we, like, were, we were terrified. And now I'm scared. This is, I was like, I felt like I was the, the coolest dude. And then I was immediately just knocked down. As soon as I even, I, I just had to think about them coming to pick me up. And I was like, oh man, here we go. Yep. Um, and when you show up, obviously happens behind the scenes, sometimes in front of you, which is a little bit worse. Um, the, the companies do a draft. So they figure out who needs the guys. And then like you essentially get drafted by the companies. Yep. Um, like I said, sometimes it happens in front of you. They're like, I don't want this fucking guy. I'll take this guy. And it's like you and you're like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean, uh, I did my best, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you show up and you, it's, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to put into words. Like the, the day you show up to the regiment is absolutely terrifying. Just absolutely terrifying. And they make it hard for you too. Um, but what helps is that there's a couple other privates and stuff that have been there for a little bit that kind of know what's going on and they help you out. Like when you first get there, it's the other privates there that, that help you out the most. Um, because me and Frank showed up together and Frank went to a different company. So like I had to go to my company by myself. I didn't know anyone. Um, but it's the... Because the team leaders, your team chief, like they're they're coming for you when you're your first six months there. <laughs> Essentially, they're coming for you. Um, so the other privates are the guys that, that really really help you out. Um, but you're still gonna get smoked. I mean, I walked in, they give you a ranger handbook, and they gave me a day one binder of information that was like this thick in my company, and they were like, "You need to know this by tomorrow." It was the day one binder. Literally, it was called the day. This is what you need to know. Day one. His binder was thick. It was like a one-inch binder, and it was just stacked. And I, I went, I went to my room, and I, I was studying. And um, one of our buddies, actually, Ed, came into my room. He said, like, "Hey, man, you want to go to the DFAC?" And he was one of the other privates in my company. And I was like, I, "Dude, I got to study." He's like, "My guy, there's no way you're learning all that by tomorrow." You can't He's read. Like, Let's go get some food. You can come back and read it later, but you're, there's nothing you can do. Like, you're going to get what you get right, and you're going to get what you get wrong. It's just the, that's how it's going to happen. And so that was, you know, the first bit of time is you, you know, you, sometimes you're not going to know the answer. And you're going to pay for not knowing the answer, but there's only so much you can do. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not going to feel okay, but sometimes no. you just got to say, I don't know. And uh, it's almost better um i i noticed sometimes it, it was really better to say you don't know like if you someone asks you a question you try to you try to just like jumble your way through it they're gonna get way more angry at you yes i guess it's not always a bad thing to say you don't know now when you don't know something you should know that's not good yeah there's times to spit some stuff out and then there's times to say i don't know and uh that's up to you to find out but um yeah, me and Tony kind of had different upbringings. Uh, your leadership uh, ended up being my leadership down the down the road. Um, they were they were cool guys, but they didn't mess around either. Um, highly respected guys, and and uh, you know the group I went with, they they were too. But uh, man, did they smoke the dog shit out of me! And actually, as an incoming private, sometimes other privates are excited for you coming because you take the you take the scope off them because you're the yeah dude. yeah. 
when the new private shows up, like they're not the new private anymore. Yeah. To be fair, I did some things as a private, which uh, warranted some extra attention. So that's fair. Yeah, you did. You sure did. And uh, so, yeah, I got some extra work. And uh, so that was a good time. But uh, I, well, I really liked that you were in, in your company because our, you know, A and B co. So we were like right next to each other. We were like rivals, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was nice because I, I knew him. So it, it was nice to have that like competitiveness uh, with you because it you know, made me better. Obviously, I mean, you were struggling, but I got better because of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We used to have uh, the morning sports uh, and it was always ACO versus BCO. I swear it was, it was mainly us going against yeah. each other. We were football and ultimate Frisbee. Which is essentially just football with the frisbee, tackle football with the frisbee. But, <clears throat> yep. Um, but I would say, if you are going into a pipeline, especially obviously, I can't speak for for SF, even though I know a lot of those deeds, but someone obviously knows more than I do. The biggest thing for me is, um, one thing of the things I've preached throughout all of these tracks is you lean on the people around you, um, and that is a hundred times more applicable once you get to regiment. Um, those guys are going to be the people who watch back and be essentially your brothers. Like those are going to be the guys you can rely on, um, day in, day out, whatever's going on. Um, I mean, we help each other out with personal things, work things, everything that was going on. Like those are the guys you lean on when you're having a tough time. And, you know, like that's one of the things is, um, like sometimes people talk about how I complain a lot and, um, about stuff. And like, I'll complain while I'm doing something. And I really did. It doesn't bother me. It was just when I was in the army, that's how we bonded over stuff. We would just complain to each other. Um, so like, it's nice to go through everything with someone else because it just, you know, you're not alone. You know, it does suck sometimes, but it's just nice to, to have that like camaraderie with everyone around you. Yep. Yep. And so that's the, that's just going to piggyback off of that. Um, my advice for regiment is, just be in shape. This is what I always say. Be in shape before you go because you got those major checkpoints you're going to hit early on. But outside of that, just put your big boy pants on and deal with it. It's a long road. Um, it's not comfortable. And then, you know, it's it doesn't it doesn't get comfortable. It's always going to be uncomfortable. Even when you get to your unit, you just got to teach yourself how to adapt. That's what you're doing. You're adapting to this new environment, and you got to learn how to. Uh, enjoy it. And some people absolutely love it. There's, there's so many aspects about it that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the times with adrenaline. Of course, there's some BS uh, on the backside that I didn't like. And, um, but there was a lot of things that I really, really enjoyed like, uh, you know, admin stuff, some, uh, some other things I didn't like, but anytime we were doing real stuff, I really enjoyed that. And um, so, you know, whenever you get to your unit, put your big boy pants on. That's time to perform, to perform, make your mistakes um, in your pipeline. You're still going to make mistakes, but really just start putting your big boy pants on when it, whenever you get to your unit. Cause that's when it gets real and you're really doing real stuff. Well, it's funny you said that, but it doesn't stop there either. So like, like in basic, like you, you get your role, you go to AIT, you got to figure it out again. You're at everyone's school, you figure it out again. And then you get to regimen and you're, you fill your role and you know how to do it and you get comfortable with it. And then they're like, all right, we're stepping you up to this now, you know, whether you're an infantryman going to a, to a gunner 
position, you're going to start using the 240 or your RCO yes. who's going to an FO. It's just, you got to get comfortable at being uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, we used to joke about it all the time with the improvise, adapt, and overcome when we would joke about doing something stupid to figure something out. But that's really, really what it is. You just got to, you're going to have to adapt constantly. The job of surprises is what I called it. One time <laughs> I was overseas one time and they were like, Hey, FO, you're a, you're the gunner tonight. And I was just like, what? I got like a five minute breakdown class. Like, uh, yeah, this is how you use this stuff. By the way, your gun's broken. So you got to sit on top. And so I had a man to 50 cal on oh, top. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So everybody else had their little joysticks like playing battlefield and I'm sitting there on top, you know, and, uh, and just had to adapt in a, in a short amount of time. And uh, we'll go into that story more later. It's kind of a funny story, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, that's the best way to put it. Whenever you become a team leader, it's new challenges. And then every time you get bumped up, you know, Tony can speak for this too. He was a, a team leader and then you spend a deal of time in a, in higher positions than that. So each time they bump you up and it's just more shit and get comfortable with being uncomfortable is the perfect way to put it. It's you're never going to be comfortable. That's, that's part of what makes us so great. Yeah. But I mean, it's good. I mean, it's good for you, especially if you go make it all the way through. Um, I mean, I was in the best shape in my life back then. I kind of let myself go now, but, <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough pipeline. Like I, one of the things we said earlier too, it's really about commitment. I mean, a lot of people quit or, or didn't make it because, they just don't want to. Um, now there are guys that physically couldn't do some of the stuff and that's why they failed. But a lot of those dudes, they just don't want it bad enough. They, they don't want to commit to it. They, sometimes you see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's not the light you want. So they just turn around because um, right. it doesn't get easier. Like, like he said, um, it's tough. It, it, it gets tougher. And, um, but I think the payoff is, is a little bit worth it. Um, for everything that you're going through and some people get there and they, they don't like it and then you can leave um but it'll still get even if you want to stay in the army and go to a normal army unit like it'll give you a leg up like you'll be more well trained than anyone else that you meet exactly and that, that as a career builder you have that forever in your career in the army and even you know i transitioned to the civilian life as a lot of you know uh even in the civilian life that transfers a lot of a lot of people really look up to that so you have that forever and it's what it was worth all the pain and misery in the time. Well, sometimes I don't feel like that when I can't get out of bed because my back hurts. So bad, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah, I, I feel like I'm 85 years old and I'm 28. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I got sciatic running down my leg and I have to lay down <laughs> on the floor. Um, yeah. I mean, it's brutal on the body. It's brutal on the body. So, that's, the, that's part of the trade-off. Trade-offs, guys. Uh, it's not, you know, a lot of people realize that, and I think that's why they get psyched out because it's not just a title. They get to go run home and tell people. Um, you're, you're really giving something to that. Sometimes yeah, but I will say, make sure you go, I know, it's, I know you're not going to want to. Okay, I know you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to, but go get stuff documented. I'm not saying go ask for a profile and stuff, but guess up documenting. I'll help you out in the end. Yep. Yep. Don't Absolutely. ask for a profile. If you ask for a profile, then you're gonna be that guy. You don't yeah, don't me. don't get on a profile. Um, but yeah, if you if you're hurt, go make sure you get it documented and get yourself taken care of later. That's a good point. 
That and I mean, if if you do are actually hurt and get treatment and stuff, <clears throat> you know, some people make fun of some guys who go and try to get treated and things like that. It's like a sign of weakness. Your career will last longer if you're healthier. So like, you're more used to the army over time if you can keep yourself together. Yeah. I had a question from a follower. He's like, hey, man, my my hip is hurting. Um, he's like, I'm just going to push through it because I don't want to be weak when I'm a ranger. I'm like, hold on. I'm like, you might want to take, <laughs> take care of that because you can't run on a broken leg. doesn't matter how tough you are. You can't run on a broken – if your tibia is snapped in half, you will not really be able to run on it unless you just got to – Unless it happens, in, <laughs> <hold on. laughs> unless it happens like in the moment you have like this crazy surge of adrenaline, but if your leg is snapped in half, uh, you know you're not going to be able to continue doing this job. Uh, so you got to take care of yourself. You got to know when to uh, when to do that because it is a brutal job. And and to be honest with you, it's a train that doesn't stop moving, and and it doesn't care. I mean, honestly, that's part of the caution I would I would send your way is when people fall off that train, the train keeps going. I mean, they'll kick you, they'll kick you to the curb and they'll get someone at the next stop. That's true. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is true. So, you know, do it within reasonable means, but it is important to take care of yourself and know when to recover. And uh, you'll figure it out when you get there, how to do that. Kind of. I figure it out a little bit late, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So any final tips for, for these guys, Tony, I'm sure we'll do this again. Yeah. Like I said, okay. So one of the things I preach is definitely lean on the people around you. Obviously like I met Danny through this pipeline um, and we still talk all the time. Um, One of the problems that, you know, I talked about being the great man and stuff like that, but you can't isolate yourself. Um, I mean, you see that's doing it all the time. Um, Dude's doing it in in the service as well. Um, Don't isolate yourself. Everything's going to be easier if you have a sports system around you. And your family's not going to be with you. They're not going to be. They're going to be hundreds of miles away. You're not going to be able to see them. Um, it's it's the the men, and probably seem to be women as well, um, around you. I mean, we had uh, women obviously in our basic training, but um, I'm not sure what the regiment's plans are or anything like that. Uh, controversial, but uh, the men and women around you are going to be people that that are your support system. Um, so when you have days where you were like me, and I was like maybe. I don't want to go to rest anymore. I just want to go to my unit. You have people to be like, no, we got this. You know what I mean? It's, it's eight weeks and we're good to go. You know, you have people there to push you. Um, and also, you know, be that guy for someone else. Um, but that's what leadership is. Honestly, leadership is, is you helping people become better versions of themselves. Um, so if you can have a good support system, you can push people, people can push you someone there to, to prop you up when, when you're feeling down or you feel like your commitment's waning, um, that's going to go a, a long way. Um, because if your body's right and your mind's not, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. I talk about that in leadership all the time, you know, uh, and then whenever it's your turn to be, become a leader, realize it's about your team. It's not about you. It's not about your image. Um, you should be a, should do a podcast talking to NCOs in the army. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be a good one. So um, this is where I'm going to end this one. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Tony. Yeah, and, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to do this again. So we'll have you on again. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, remember I'm over on Twitch. If you guys have any extra questions or anything, I'm live uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday night and Saturday mornings at about 10 30 Eastern. Um, so if you see, 
give me a follow, see me online, feel free to jump in my chat and, and ask me whatever questions you guys have about literally anything. Yep. And I'll put, I'll put that below. So, uh, I believe it'll let me put a link there. So I'll have a link directly to your Twitch and, and all that good stuff. So y'all go check him out, go give him a follow. He's trying to get to, what is it? Um, what is the criteria you have to meet right now? Right now I need to get 50 followers. I'm pretty fairly new. I just started this about uh, a week ago. Um, I'm at 44 the last time I checked. Um, so, but all the follows help. And if you guys want to come hang out, you know, there's a bunch of good people that do watch uh, some other vets, you know, things like that, that I know that follow me now um, <clears throat> who've been in a bunch of different things. So you feel free to, to stop by. I'm also, if I'll have put my Twitter there too. Um, you guys can to ask me any questions on there as well. <clears throat> Perfect. Yeah, guys, that's a, that's an easy bump. So go help them out. And, uh, if you've been listening this long, you're awesome. Hope you have a great day. Take care.